Welcome to the Product Boss Podcast, where we help product-based businesses grow their sales and improve their strategies. Hey, everyone. I want to introduce you to my co-host and biz bestie, Mina Kunlositev, an Amazon guru that has built a multi-six-figure product-based business. In introducing the other half of the product boss, Jacqueline Snyder, she has helped launch and grow over 500 fashion apparel and accessory brands, even one of her own. And together, we share our inventory of secret weapons that will help you dig deep and do the work it takes. Are you ready? Let's build together. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Product Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Snyder, with my delightful co-host, Mina Kunlo-Sitep. Hey, Mina. Hey, Jacqueline. So today we want to talk about scaling your handmade business. Now, wait, before any of you just decide that you're going to skip this episode because your business is not handmade, all of the points that we're going to share with you are usable and useful to any product that you're making. So it's something that's really interesting, at least we think so. And I think that you could pull out tidbits to move this forward. So we're going to talk about seven ways to scale. Um, So we hear a lot from our handmade people because there's different struggles that they have as far as scaling, but there's certain different tweaks that you could do as a product boss that could help any sort of business. So digging right in. The first one is how can you make this semi handmade? Going back to, (laughs) what is that woman on Food Network that does semi-homemade? Gosh, I loved her show. She would use canned food. (laughs) Oh, I love it. (laughs) To can vegetables and stuff to make a meal. I think the 1950s. (laughs) And it was semi-homemade. So, I mean, you know, that's the same idea. How can you take your handmade product and make it semi-handmade? So, thinking about that, let's say you make ceramics, Right. Perhaps you can make a mold of your, you know, favorite piece and that's what starts off the semi-handmade. So it's based off your design, the mold is, but you're creating a production process where it becomes manufactured. So I know, again, a lot of you, especially our Etsy listeners, um, the handmade thing is such a big deal for you and you sometimes feel like, if we don't do it ourselves, it's not handmade. I want to just tell everybody that almost everything is handmade. So clothing is handmade. And I was saying to Mina earlier, I was like, it just depends on how much you're paying the hands that are making them. But clothing is all cut and sewn by human beings. And um, if you're going to make other products like toys, a lot of parts of them, they're like put together by hands, but they're semi-handmade, right? So what we want you guys to do is think about this in the way that we want to make your lives a bit easier. We want you to help. We want to help you grow your business outside of just what your two hands can do yourself, right? So thinking about semi-handmade, we another thing that you can do is just think about a portion of the process that you can outsource, right? So if you're doing paper products, is there something that you can get printed somewhere else, cut, and that you're putting it together? If you are, what's another thing that they're doing? Yeah. I mean, each production has a different process, like what Jacqueline's talking about where, I mean, you are not the first person to manufacture something. I hate to break it to you, right? So if it's a ceramics bowl, it's a mold. If it's a printing thing, it's a die cut. It's If it's a, um, I don't know, if it's a cup, it's a 
who knows, uh, uh, AutoCAD drawing. (laughs) So you really have to think about the process and where it's done before and how you can implement that in the most creative way to make it so you can still do it in a good price for yourself. So let's talk about clothing, for example. Let's say you are doing handmade baby clothes. Okay. And your handmade for you is that you yourself are hand sewing them. Cool. So let's send that fabric out to a cutter. Let's have somebody cut the material for you and send it back to you. Right there is quote unquote semi handmade in the way of your hands touching it. Did a cutter with their own two hands make it? Yeah, they did. So it's still handmade. It's just that you're able to outsource part of that process. So if you want to be the one that's actually putting the garment together with your sewing machine and you're sewing the labels on, that's totally fine. But see what parts you can actually send out or have made or something you can actually duplicate in your production process that you can just use over and over and over. Yeah. It might be, let's say something is hand dipped, right? Maybe it's manufactured to a certain point and then it's hand dipped at the very end, hand dipped in gold or you know, maybe you hire somebody that buffs it, right? That person just all day long buffs necklaces or whatever, or shoes. I don't know what it is, but really looking at your product and seeing how can you create a production process to it, at least to the point of semi-handmade where you're still having that special touch. It's still handmade, but you're able to alleviate some of that um, tedious work at the very beginning or end or in the middle. Absolutely. So number two would be streamlining this process, right? Or that whole beginning part of it, right? So oftentimes makers will go and make one whole product at the same time, right? So um, my mom makes bags. I gave her this tip. So every time she would get an order on, let's call it Etsy to make a bag, she would do the whole process, the prepping of the bag. You know, there's parts that she had to stabilize. Then she would go and do the art of the customization and then she would paint it on and all that. I said, hey, how about you take all of those bags and you do all of the prep work ahead of time. So all of the bags are pre-prepped because they're all going to have to be prepped anyways. And then when you get the custom order, that's when you're doing the custom artwork and you have to apply the custom part. So it cuts down on this process because when your brain is able to just do one thing over and over and over, like I like to think about filling goodie bags for birthday parties, right? Like if you set all the goodie bags up and you go through all the goodie bags and first you're dropping in all the lollipops, cool. Then you go back around and now you're getting the stickers and you're dropping in all the stickers. It's just easier than if you're sitting there with all of the things and saying like lollipop, sticker, I don't know, airplane lollipop sticker. Wait, did I put a lollipop in there? You know, and you get caught up on that. So make your process easier. So I think that would be streamlining your, your production process. See what parts you can kind of batch together at the same time. And then what actually has to be done individually for whatever the order is. Yeah. And there is a difference between being able to batch 20 versus 40. Maybe you've always done 20. Could you go for 40? That's the question you're asking yourself, right? So see where your batches are and your optimal speed. You probably will get better at things. That's the learning curve, right? So knowing how many things you could crank out and knowing ideally where you work the best and maybe even what time of day, that's how many you can get done. And then also seeing if, you know, maybe in streamlining the batching, it could be instead you're doing it at a specific hour, right? Instead of a, you know, perhaps it's batching in the afternoons instead of the mornings, because a lot of times, you know, it's just a switching of the hour. 
Maybe it's batching while you're watching your favorite TV show on Netflix. Like there's certain things you can do with like not a lot of thought and there's some things that you need to do. So let's call it the same with orders. Okay. So let's take it out of the production process. So let's say that, well, one, you guys should make a rule within your business that maybe you're shipping every Wednesday and Friday. Like that you might not be shipping every day and you build that into your production schedule. You build that into what you're telling people you can do. So then, you know, on Wednesdays and Fridays, you're shipping. And then that day you're focusing on creating all the shipping labels, packing the boxes, doing all the things versus you're making product on a Monday by the end of the day. Oh wait, I have to ship. I have to go put this one box together and print out this one label and head to UPS. And then the next day you get an order and you're kind of doing that and you're trying to do something else you need to get done. So if you can streamline the days that you do things, um, you can be ready or you build out all your boxes that they're going to go in, right? All the boxes are made, all the stickers are put on the outside, all the places that you're going to put the, you know, oh my God, I'm so old school. I'm thinking about like when I used to hand write out, hand write out UPS labels and slip them in the plastic. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then rip off the carbon copy. <laughs> But you just think about the things that you can kind of get done. If all those boxes are ready to be filled, cool. You get all your boxes in, build them. If you're a subscription box, get them in and build them and then fill them, you know, and it doesn't have to be all of them, but prep them because that's time. That's time you're spending. Yeah. I'll tell you guys how I fulfill a whole bunch of orders when I have them for low labels. I go into shipping easy. I click on quantity one as the parameter. And then I type out animal and it pulls up all the orders with animal. I then fill out, let's say 10 envelopes with animal labels, right? Animal friends labels. And then I print off all the, I seal them. And then I print off all the labels and I stick them on there. I just batched 10 orders right there. Instead of looking through them one by one and being like animal, seal, stick, label, cover the label, right? I'm doing batches of 10 according to exactly the same order, right? So it just makes it a lot easier instead of going through it one by one by one. And so then next one, I move on to quantity one, playful. Then I move to quantity two, right? So, and then by the end of it, I have all these mix and match ones. So at the end of it, I have to kind of pay more attention um, instead of being able to batch certain things out. But you got a lot of the easy stuff done and you were, and you only had to think, okay, animal one, animal one, animal one, instead of thinking like, okay, this one's two animals, that one's one animal, that one's a combo. You know, your brain, give yourself brain a break for a second. There's things that you can simplify and move very quickly through, right? So those are right. some ideas for streamlining. Anything else? Yeah. When So let's say it's 10, right? I count out 10 envelopes, 10 labels. So I'm quality checking myself. So I'm not at the end of it being thinking like, hey, I know I pulled from there, but did I get 10? You know? So it's like a way to check yourself too. Yeah. Pick a number that works for you and 10 is a good number, 12, whatever it works. 10 might be a little bit easier even, right? Yeah. Groups of 10. But they both end up the same is what I'm saying instead of a pile and a pile. Right. Totally. So those are some ideas for streamlining. Like look at your process, think of what you can batch and how you can sort of be smarter about it. Um, And then we want you to, number three would be taking a deeper look at the components that go into your product. Yeah. Scaling handmade is tricky because you're used to doing things a certain way. You figured out the process and now you know somebody ordered this, so I have this much time to get it done. But are you looking at your pieces? Could you instead of using um, this particular type of glass, can you use this other different type of ceramic or whatever it is, right? So maybe there's a tweak in your 
raw goods or your components that you could change if it's a piece of yarn, if it's a um, different style hook, is it going to save you some time or is it going to save you money? We have a client that was making product, paper product, custom paper product for events, and it would come with something to hang. Like you could, it would, she would actually put the thread through the loop and loop it all and like send it all made and ready to be like used. And so we challenged her on it and we said, do you need to be putting that all together? Or could you just be cutting all of the thread to the same size and laying it in a cute little loop on the side of this paper product and then shipping it to the customer? Guess what, guys? After what, a year, year and a half of us talking to her about simplifying her process, she she did that and then there's her sales have just taken off. It's not slowing anything down. That assumption that you needed to do something in one way, um, was an assumption that she thought people are not going to want it if I don't do this. And it's like, well, yeah, they are because they want it and they're just going to have to take another step and put the, put the product together. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, you know, and then looking at it to see, can you save money anywhere? Now she knows how much of the yarn or whatever she needs, right? So she knows, hey, when it gets to this amount, I know it's this many orders. So then I have to reorder. Before when she was didn't know that, then she was kind of, oh, you know, I know I have this many orders and I'm not sure if they want extra yarn, you know, like so many things, so many questions that you're trying to decipher for your customer. But at the end of the day, you're trying to get down to the recipe of where you can save money and what is really going to matter to them, you know, as far as like looking at your components and saving on them. So if you're a natural skincare company or you're making soy candles and the scents and all of that is like really important, that's totally fine, right? But let's look at it. Let's like let's look if there's a way that you could order more wicks, for example, to if you ordered in bulk there that maybe you would lower your price per unit or bulk wax. Um, maybe when if we go back to even like the semi-handmade, maybe you're getting the glass that you're pouring the candle into with like the stickers. Maybe that's being done somewhere else and you get to get the glass and you're just hand pouring it in. So I think a big deal for you is one to look at the components that are going into it and see what the cost is associated and is are there ways for you to save money there where we're not saying to downgrade the quality, but sometimes if you're ordering more in bulk, you can actually get a better price per unit. And then and then also are there certain things you can replace? Are there certain things you can take away that you think needs to be there, but they don't actually have to be there? Hey, should we do a shout out to Katana, our new partner in production? So the way that uh, product businesses usually look at inventory is they look at inventory and it's like one finished good taken out. We have this partner, it's a software company called Katana, where you're really looking at production. So exactly what we're talking about is like... um, what raw goods are being depleted and when do you need to reorder? So Katana is a software where it gauges, you know, hey, red, green, or yellow, do I need to reorder my candle wax, let's say. And then, so then there's like the raw goods plus the finished good, plus when you need to reorder those. For me, it's like the outside bags, the, you know, the front package, the back package, all those things. And then you're able to see when you need to reorder so you can hit that next price break. So for one of our companies, she does um, popcorn. She buys sugar. She buys 
butter in 60 pound bulk, she said. And a lot of times she's going to the grocery store because people are like, oh, I ran out of white sugar, right? This is where you wouldn't run out of white sugar. You're keeping track of where you can buy in bulk and then when you need reorder because you know you know when um, things are starting to get lower. And when she says she's they run out of sugar, this is still handmade popcorn in an actual shop that she owns, but she has employees making the popcorn, right? Um, and then they're the ones calling her all of a sudden and be like, we're out of sugar, we're out of sugar. And she has to drive over to a store and get the sugar for them. So the cool thing about Katana, there are other platforms out there that a lot of makers actually use to sort of track their sales and their inventory and all that. Well, this is kind of a level up. So this, why we really love it and we wanted to partner with them was that they they're they're for serious people that want to scale their businesses, but they're not gigantic businesses. They're still five-figure businesses, six-figure businesses, low seven-figure businesses. So it's something super easy to use and like wrap your brain around. It doesn't get all... Um, I don't know, like I'm just trying to think of some CRM software that I've done before that I'm like overwhelmed by because it's too complicated. They're not overcomplicating it. They're doing it for smaller businesses that need help to kind of identify when a reorder time comes in or creating recipes. That's like the really cool thing, right? So for example, back to the candle company, if you know that it takes X amount of ounces of wax, it takes one wick, it takes one sticker, it takes one glass jar, um, maybe... One cent, you know, like the oil. Yeah, (laughs) four drops. I don't know. (laughs) But you create your recipe, right? So you get to document your recipe in there. And your recipe can be for anything. It could be for making the jean jacket that I'm wearing right now, right? Where it's like, I know my yield. I know the fabric. I know the buttons that have to go onto it. I know the labels, the care labels, all that. So you take all the components that go into one product, one style. And then as you get orders against it and you know how much you've ordered of it in total, it'll start to deduct. So you'll know where you're at. If you need to reorder, you'll know that you've gone through it. You'll understand your cost of goods and it links to QuickBooks, which is really awesome. And Shopify. And you can tag your team members, which I love. Imagine this is what we're describing to you guys is exactly the job role of a production manager. The production manager typically knows how much is in inventory for raw goods, how much is going out, how much is in inventory for finished goods, and then when things need to be reordered, when something goes to production, because it's not always a perfect science. You know, you're not going to need the same amount of butter as you are sugar, and they don't end up being the same, um, the same in-house as like running out, right? Because sometimes there's an overrun of things and sometimes there's an underrun or whatever in production. So thinking about that, you're saving money by not having a production manager per se, knowing all these things, but you can visually see it, red light, green light, yellow light, I call it Jacqueline's method because we've talked about this before on the podcast is that how she used to run a team was, you know, if it was red, it was like, oh no, you know, all hands on deck. Yellow means, you know, flag as far as like, we need to really talk about this and green means go, right? For production, it means in stock, sell it. Yellow means, oh, you probably should order soon. And red means out of stock. 
you probably should have ordered a long time ago. <laughs> and that's the thing. So linking to Shopify, for example, like let's say you're starting to get low on a quantity of something that you're selling. Um, it's going to alert you because it's also going to know what you have in stock and raw material. So if it takes you a certain amount of time to order something, like let's say you know it's a three-weekly time to get a certain ingredient or um, for apparel, like it could be six weeks to ship fabric in from somewhere. You need to know that so you can then be ready to place kind of like do a reorder. So some people also have co-packers too, you know, like for food. So let's say you order brewer's yeast or something. How much, I mean, is that co-packer spilling all your goods and not keeping track of how much they're using? This is a way for you to check how much is actually being used with knowing your recipes, right? And knowing how much actually should be used. So knowing that you make 12 dozen cookies and it takes, you know, X amount of brewer's yeast and all of a sudden they've only made 12 dozen cookies and they've told you that they're out of brewer's yeast. And you're like, well, what happened to the rest of it? I know that this goes into 12 dozen. You should have X amount left. So yeah, I think it's keeping people accountable. It's tracking losses. So it's just, it's a, it's a newer product that's out there that we are loving and we're recommending to our one-on-one clients and to our masterminders and in our course. So if you are interested, it's called Katana with a K and we will have a link in the show notes to make it super easy for you to find them. Yes. Love it. So that moves us on to number four and that is bringing on a manufacturing partner or outsourcing. We've kind of dabbled a little bit into this as we were talking, but it's basically bringing somebody on to help you with a certain area, right? It could be somebody who only knows the manufacturing part and you're the talent, I guess. <laughs> you're the person that makes it special. So you're bringing that to them and they're handling the manufacturing side. Um, what are some other examples? Well, so like jewelry, right? Jewelry is handmade, everyone. Like Chan Lu was the the company that was in my my studio before I moved into it, before they grew. And there were nothing but chairs and little places that there were all these people sitting there and putting together Chanley bracelets and necklaces and all the things that they made. So things are still handmade. I just want to keep just expressing this to everyone. There's very little things. I mean, there's obviously things that are made out of molds or like, you know, um, probably cupcakes. There's machines that, you know, spit out the cupcakes. I've seen crayons being made on like these machines and manufacturing lines, but there's, there's still a handmade component. So bringing on a a partner. So let's just go back to the paper product string company we were talking about. Another way for you to feel okay or good about the, the handmade processor outsourcing could be that you're training other people. So you could train somebody else how to cut your paper or how to take the art, make it, put it in into the computer and print it on the paper, right? Where you're outsourcing a section of it. If you macrame, if you knit, what if you trained other women how to macrame and knit and then you outsource some of that work to them? So it wasn't you physically needing to do all of the work by hand um, that you were able to scale your business, right? You're able to start to get free... because. Growing a business means you get to buy back your time, right? We're buying back our time. So do you need to be knitting? Sure. If you love knitting, knit a little. But if you're going to start getting 100 orders a day or 100 orders in a week or whatever your, whatever your capacity is, what can you divvy out? What can you give other people to do for you? Yeah. And it's not like you're taking away anything that is less special about it. It's still based off your designs, why people are buying it. It doesn't have to be your hands your blood, sweat, and tears on the actual fabric. It's based off of your idea, your concept, your creativity, what 
they're buying is that special uniqueness that comes with them buying from you, right? You don't have to be the one that actually puts it into the package for them to make it feel like it's special. Right. And and keep the parts that you love and enjoy about this. And if there's stuff that you want to do with your time as your business is growing, find other people to do it. So again, bringing on a manufacturing partner or outsourcing it. So let's see, another way, I'm just going to go back to clothing. That's very similar to the idea that I brought up earlier where like somebody might be, you might be shipping fabric to them and they're cutting it for you and you're still sewing it. So that's um, bringing on a manufacturing partner. The other option is, is that you start to scale your business and you actually let them handle all the sewing and all the cutting. It's still handmade and you could make it small batch, right? So it doesn't have to be that you're making 2000 shirts. It could be that you're only going to be making 20, 50, a hundred shirts and it's small batch. It's made domestically. You know, it's made by people like, like there's a picture that says like, I made your clothes and you're spreading, you're spreading the business to other people. So you're actually employing people and you're spreading work. And that's based on the mission of your business and the goal. But, you know, thinking about people always talk about like the car industry going out and all these places where manufacturing is dying. Well, all of you, my friends are manufacturers. And if you're able to scale your business and start to employ other people, you yourself are building an industry in whatever city or town you're in, even if it's within your garage or even if it's the local screen printer down the street. Ah, that's a good one. T-shirts with printing. There's so many people making their own prints or screen printing or cutouts. You don't have to do that all yourself. And you don't have to do it locally, quite honestly. You know, the reason a little bit why GM and all those went out of business is because they, in order to stay competitive, they had to outsource internationally, right? And then that left the people that were in the United States with no jobs. So this is where you could actually ship fabric to a cutter in a different state and you still would be building industry there, right? It probably wouldn't be honestly feasible for you to ship it across the ocean. So it's really just keeping it wherever it needs to be. This is another reason why people hire on 3PL companies. They outsource the shipping to big warehouses that house it for them and then fulfill the orders for them. And it's just sometimes, like for instance, if you live in New York, it's probably more expensive to have real estate warehouses there than it is in Iowa where there's tons of land and people can charge for fulfillment in Iowa. Oh, tons of my clients, my LA clients, their fulfillment centers were in Utah or Arizona or wherever it was. It was not, Yeah, you know. Usually it's like Midwest because it's like, you know, right in the middle of the nation so that it costs less for them to ship to California versus California to New York. You know, it's not across country. So really thinking about that, maybe it's going to save you money by hiring other people and shipping out some part of it to your outsourcing. So another way to outsource in a smart way, and we talk about this a lot, and Mina was bringing it up pre-call, was um, print on demand. So if you're sourcing the same shirts or the same paper products or books or iPhone covers or whatever, and it's really about your art, could you do print on demand where you're not having to sit on inventory? Can it be something where, yes, maybe you're paying a little bit more on a margin to go through print on demand, but you're buying your time back. It's the same way that Mina says to me. She pays people to cut her vegetables. Am I right? Yeah. Except for I'm not really paying them to cut my vegetables. This is the way I had to word it to my mom who was like, why would you cut your own 
or why would you buy pre-cut mangoes? And I was like, why would I cut my own mangoes? That's the question. And so I buy them pre-cut and I was like, it's like paying somebody to cut your mangoes and vegetables for you. I'm like paying them to do it, which she didn't get it at that point either. <laughs> probably still won't get it. But <laughs> It's that value, right? For you, you're like, my kids love mango. I'll be cutting them all the time and making a mess of my house. So maybe I pay an extra two bucks to get pre-cut mango. Maybe you're paying an extra four bucks to get pre-cut mango, but that ease of you being able to go to the fridge, open up the container, hand your kids the mango they want to eat and close the, close the container and put it back in the fridge is worth it to you. So I think it's that same idea with the outsourcing of the process, right? Yeah. You might lose a little bit more of your margin, but you might have more time to design. You might have more time to be with your family. You might have more time to think up of ideas like on how to keep growing your business. Yeah. You can pay me enough to you know, cut my own pomegranate and take the seeds out. Oh I want to spend my time thinking about creative money-making ideas, eating pomegranate seeds out of a container I bought at top dollar instead of... That is like top dollar. <laughs> That's like a $20 thing right there you just bought. Yeah, but at Sam's Club, you could get like a four-pack and it's really reasonable. <laughs> yeah, it's actually the same with beets. You can get your own beets and peel them. Or you could buy pre-peeled packaged beets that you can eat that last longer, right? So everyone's going to pick their thing. And then there's going to be people that know I will peel my own beets. So think about that the next time you guys are thinking like, should I be doing this in my business? Or is there someone else that can do it for me? Right. So the next thing is we want you to know your capacity and make sure your pricing is right. So really like is how much can you produce? Really, like where can you max out it? Can you produce 100 bath soaps and sell them for however much, right? Because at the end of the day, if you're not pricing correctly and you think your capacity is only 20 bath soaps, you're not getting enough money for your time. So Mina came up with the idea to start a bath soap company, right? She tested the idea. Did she go and buy all of the materials and oh, all God, of the no. <laughs> I did not. I am not a soap maker. Um, I manuf I hired a manufacturer based off of my recipe. That's probably like where the other people are, where they're doing small batch and they could take it to a manufacturer, right? Um, but that that's the same thing is that they were experts. I mean, top experts at what they were doing. They knew about scents. They knew about you know ingredients. They knew about um, sustainability was another big thing for me. So they already knew what they needed to do for them to give me exactly what, it, what I wanted as my manufacturing partner. And in terms of capacity, so she got to buy them in bulk, right? She bought them at a, at a rate for the amount of units she had to buy. She also was able to customize those with um, making her own boxes and packaging, right? But the know your capacity, this is something we want you to think about because as much as you want to scale... If it's your time, you can only make as many as you can make in the time that you're awake to the time you have to eat, to the time you have to go to sleep or pick your kids up from school or whatever it is that you do with your life outside of being a maker. So it's really hard to scale if you can't scale the units that you're able to make. If you tap out and you can only make 100 things a week and you can only sell 100 a week, then you know that you're just actually going to cap out at a hundred. So you either have to raise your price to make a little bit more money, or you have to figure out how to scale this. Like how else can you make more of them? Like how can you keep up with the demand? So knowing your physical capacity is going to be a big 
determining factor on what maybe what you outsource because you might be able to make 200 of them now that you're outsourcing part of it or making it semi-handmade. Maybe you're able to double your manufacturing there. Um, and then it goes down to the price part too, right? Like the, can you actually scale if you're pricing your products wrong? No, you can't. Right. I mean, you're shooting yourself in the foot, you know. Um, one of the, I forgot what the, her business name is. I'll try to find it, but she does hand um, blown glass straws. And um, she figured out her capacity was, let's say, 100, right? A lot of times when we know our capacity, she knows she needs to sell 100, let's say 100, and then she creates a waiting list for the next ones that she's going to do. So that's always the goal, right? Know your capacity, get people on a waiting list, know your pricing so you know that you just have to sell a certain amount. There's something weird about people not weird, spectacular too, that if they know there's a certain amount they need to hit, they just go for it. So she only needs to sell 100. So she's going for it, right? There's People also are that way with time. And I think I might've told you this story personally, but not other people. But the um, my dad retired this past year and he was known in the factory as the person who knew innately what time it was. And so without they would- Without looking at a clock. Without looking at a clock. They don't have clocks in factories. You know Why? Because 10 minutes till lunchtime, people would be like, oh, I'm going to take it easy. I only have 10 minutes. I can't crank it out, right? So they would ask my dad, hey, Mike, what time it is? And he'd be like, oh, it's almost lunchtime. <laughs> so he'd be the, the way that the factory workers would cheat the system. they know what time it was because innately he would know. Now he's gone and they don't know, sadly. But that's the thing, right? It's like he's you- still alive. He's just not in the factory. <laughs> he's retired. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And now so, he's gone and they will never know what time it is again. <laughs> they cannot ever know. They'll never have watches. And so yeah, you can't wear a watch in the factory anyway. And, you, and you probably can't have your phone on you either. No, no, no. You can't you can't even wear earrings. That was one of my mom hates that, by the way. You can't wear <laughs> earrings. Um, so um that's the thing with time and money is like, if you need to go to a hundred and you just know, oh, I just need to go a hundred, you'll go to a hundred. But if you think, oh, I'm going to go to as many as I can within this hour, you'll quit, right? Mm-hmm. In 10 minutes to the hour, you're like, oh, I'm tired. It's only 10 minutes to lunch. Most times that's like the psychology of people. Yeah. And going back to your 10, your number 10, um, 10 tens, right? So give yourself something that's easily digestible for yourself. Um, so going back to the pricing part of it all, um, if you're going to scale, you're going to grow your business, you need to make sure that there's a margin built in there. So we always talk about two times two times two. So you take your cost times at least two. I'm not going to get into specifics because if you want to get into specifics, work with us one-on-one or in a mastermind because that's where we can really break it down for your product. But let's say times two. So you take your cost times two, that should build you out to your wholesale. Okay. Your wholesale is that middle price. You then you take that wholesale times two, and that will give you your retail price. Friends, makers, all of you, you should have that middle option because if you're just going cost times two, you're ultimately selling it at a wholesale price. And so there's no room in there for you to have loss, for you to have error, for you to be able to scale it to any other platforms. And so some of you might be like, well, I can't afford to do that because of how much I pay myself or whatever. So that's when you start to look at your capacity for production. If you can start to out, if you outsource stuff, if you're able to make more of something, your per unit price drops. Anything that goes through a manufacturing production process, because it goes back to what we started on, if you're doing the same thing over and over and over, right? Like you're cutting 
you're cutting, you're cutting, you're cutting, you're cutting, and then it moves to the next part. That's where you get to break your per unit price down. Like this is how the industry, this is how many the manufacturing industry works. Yes. Um, if you're not building in that wholesale pricing and you're semi homemade or semi handmade, you're underpricing yourself because clearly I don't know how quickly people are making stuff, but they should be selling at, at least retail price, if if not more, right? And you um, should be paying yourself minimum wage, minimum. <laughs> Instead of $0. So really thinking about that, yeah, your pricing has to be even more so. Your margin should actually be more than the times two. But like Jacqueline said, if you want to dig into that, buy a strategy session <laughs> and we can work on it with you. Because every industry has a different margin and that's why I'm saying it because you, um, we get messages all the time like, well, what should I price it at? And we're like, we really need to talk about your business. We need to know, again, the components of it. We need to know your manufacturing process. We need to know more than just being able to give you actual numbers. But so just talking about the pricing again, um, if you, you are underpricing yourself, if you're not paying yourself an hourly rate wage, you are just literally doing a hobby, right? This is a hobby. Maybe you enjoy to pour candles or macrame or knit. And that's like your hobby and you're just making the money back for the cost of goods, but you're not actually making money on the product. And that's a question. If you love it and it's your hobby and you like it and you want to scale it to whatever you want, great. If you actually want it to be a business, which is why you're probably listening to this podcast, you need to have that margin built in. So I just want to drop in a, a company that does something a little bit different. I actually have a whole blog post about this for Designer Consulting Co-op, but it's about Everlane. So I don't know how many of you know about the Everlane, the company. And mm, it's like a little bit, not, it's not 100% like accurate if you're in the industry to look at it. But what they say is that they're getting rid of the middleman right? They're very transparent about their manufacturers. They're transparent about who's making your product. And then they'll, they're getting rid of the middleman. So they actually are transparent about their pricing, meaning they will actually share with you every product they put up, the cost of the product. They'll share with you the cost of labor and they'll share with you the price that they're selling it to you at. And they're saying, we sell it to you. Let's call it like we sell it to you for $60. The other guys, if you were to buy it from a big store, are going to sell it to you for 75. So what they've done though is that they're not taking that two times two times two margin or they're overpricing the other guys. So they're actually putting the other guys at like a 2.7 margin. So if you know the business, you can kind of see that they're kind of inflating the other guys' numbers and they're taking a little bit of a lesser margin. But their business is not set up that they're going to get on other platforms. They are going to only and always sell direct to customers through their e-commerce. So they do have that room, right? Because they have all of the margin. So if your goal is that you're only ever going to sell directly, there's never going to be a wholesale store that you sell to, you're never going to try and sell on other platforms and you're just selling directly from your e-com site, then you have room to play with your numbers. Otherwise, you should be making these minimums, these minimum margins. Yeah. And in that scenario, sure, they can scale. Of course, they are scaling. But if it's a one-person shop versus Everlane, it's going to be a lot harder to scale on your own using that even the transparency model of selling, you know. Yeah. And I don't and I don't think the transparency model is like necessary, but why I wanted to share it was just like the the whole idea of like margins where people feel like I don't want to charge my customer four times what my cost is. It's like, yeah, you do because if you want to grow a business that's profitable that you can actually scale, you need to. We're not doing this for like 
just fun. We're not telling you to like gouge people. This is literally the, the industry. And so, because guess what guys, if you do decide to go wholesale, if you do get some awesome deal with some, like a boutique or a big box store or whatever, they're going to one, ask you for discounts. And two, really the only money you're ever going to make is the difference between your cost and your wholesale price. That's what you're going to take home as a business. They're going to make the difference between your co- their wholesale and retail. Okay. But if you sell direct to customers, that is when you can get the whole margin. So I don't know. I'm going to get off my soapbox on pricing because obviously it's something I'm really yeah, passionate you about. You really need to move on to number six. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Number six is taking your bestseller and not, and not making it customizable. So meaning like making an off the shelf item. Right. So this is where you take your bestseller and it's no longer handmade. It is off the shelf. Uh, you know, it could still be handmade if you build up an inventory that's still on a shelf, right? But it's just so you, like your mom, she makes the bags. She could build an inventory where it's not like the someone's initials. It's perhaps a off-the-shelf item that's really simple for her to fill the order because she knows people will buy it all day long, all night long because it's her bestseller. You so know, if there's like a phrase or something or a heart right. or something that's trending, she could make this one bag 10 of them with all hearts on them and try and push that product. And it's still handmade, but it's off the shelf where it's like, you know, she knows she needs to, it's kind of like that straw company. She needs to sell, you know, 15 of them that she knows she made, but it's off the shelf where she's able to uh, alleviate some of that um, obstacle of purchasing because she's able to fulfill quicker. I'm going to shout out to my mom really fast since we are talking about our business. So it's happiness design, happy nest design on Etsy and we'll put a link in the show notes for her. But that's something that um, the bestseller like, so I don't know, let's say there's, what else is something that somebody does? Okay. I'm just going to go back to the candle company, right? If you have a scent that's like blowing off the shelves, maybe that is your first opportunity that you're going to then outsource to a co-packer. You're going to outsource to somebody who can make the candles for you. And you're just going to give them your jasmine scented candles to do. You're just going to do that. And that's the thing that's made and more in bulk. And maybe that's what you lean into on other platforms. Like you take your bestseller that you know, and you're willing to sit on higher quantities of it because you know it's going to sell. Yeah, I love that. Um, it's just, it makes the job easier for you because you, at the end of the day, you're just selling what you have in stock, but it's more off the shelf. So you could get it manufactured or you could just build up your own inventory and only sell that one thing. It's what we talk about leaning into your bestseller and making sure like perhaps, you know, you make your bestseller the only thing that's available through wholesale. You know, you're, that's the one that's available with boutiques and that's it. One item that's a bestseller that's like, straight off the shelves. So we have a client too that does um, all Etsy, like a big business on Etsy and like customizable tumblers and customizable bottles and everything is customizable, right? Well, in working with us in the masterminds, we actually were able to get her to take her best sellers and just take one thing that's being said on the, let's say the bottles. And then she was able to take that. She's still making it all herself, but in bigger bulk and she's able to sell that on other platforms, right? And so she's and she's taken her bestseller and she's selling a lot of them, guys. And but and she's still making them all and her sister's still helping her pack them and ship them, but she's only using that one product to grow and scale on. Yes. When that moves us to number seven, last but not least, it's kind of a mini version of number six. And that is manufacturing something that we call 
a gateway product. And then your top tier is your handmade product. So let's look at it like, since we're going to candle company, right? <laughs> your top tier of candle companies, the most expensive ones are the ones, let's say, that you hand pour that are the most expensive. But you decide to manufacture incense that's cheaper still good quality and is like the baby sister of those scents so people can smell them if they love them the the incense you're not having to deal with any of the manufacturing because you're outsourcing that and then that's the gateway to all the scents that come you know in your top tier so you basically have different price ranges on your collections so if you're like a pillowcase company i see that's like super trending and maybe the the lowest tier of it are pillowcases that are maybe just printed on, right? That you can mass manufacture. Maybe you're sourcing those pillowcases already made and they're being screened or printed somewhere else in the aesthetic of your business. Super easy. People get on, they can buy them all day, every day, but it's going to scale up to the hand sewn customizable ones where, you know, they're these beautiful fabrics, or maybe you're hand knitting the front part of the, of the pillowcase. And that's the stuff that it's the stuff that they're going to get to you. So if they have the money to buy the handmade, to buy that extra like done by hand product, they will. And if that's really important to them. And if not, they have something else they get to buy from your brand. Yeah. It's the really special pieces that you're, it's like the collector pieces, right? It's the fun is really there. If you are a person that loves making, you're the maker of the top tier, but you're manufacturing the, I hate to say bottom tier, the gateway tier, right? Of all these different products that make it more accessible if you want it to be more accessible. So that way people can become familiar with your brand. And then when they have the money or if they want to buy something super special, they move up in price range because they know that that is where they get the access to the really special stuff. I mean, when you think about it, this is how service works, right? If you want access to the really high dollar coaches, sometimes you have to go through the sales people that are the, you know, the ones that you have that cost less to work with those people. And then if you want access to the real talent, the, you know, coaches or whatever it is, then you pay the top dollar to get access to those things. Or you might opt into something and then you're going to join the the course of the program and then you're going to join their, you know, their group coaching, or then you're going to work one-on-one and pay them one-on-one. So think of thinking about it in this way too. Like, I'm just going to reference out like Tiff, I don't know if Tiffany's is a good example, but like, let's just think of like an expensive store. So Mm -hmm. you might walk into an expensive store and there's going to be things you could walk up to the shelf, pull it off the shelf, like in the box, walk up to the counter and pay for it. And then you're going to have the stuff that's in the case that you need to actually go get someone to you and they have to open the case. They have to show it to you and they're going to tell you all of the special features about it. It's kind of the same thing in this idea. It's like, what can they just take off the shelf and go? And then what is the stuff that like, well, our jewelers handmade these engagement rings and these diamonds are sourced from this place and they are put together by exclusive jewelers in New York City. Cool. And that's why I'm paying the value of like, Again, like that diamond at Tiffany's in the case versus walking up to the shelf and getting, um, I don't know, like a, or a keychain or like a piggy bank or whatever it is on the shelf. So think about it like that. Um, we don't want to take away from you being the makers. We honor that and we believe in it. And we know that Etsy makers and makers in general are like the the bread and butter of this business. Some products can be handmade. Some products cannot. But what we want you to do is we want you to have those options to grow the business that you want and you desire and know that there's other opportunities for you. 
Yeah. Um, this day and age, it's really easy to get lost in all of it as far as like, oh, you want to be making all of it, but actually you want to be sustaining yourself as a business too, right? You don't want to lose that part of yourself that's like, oh, I'm not a business person, so I can't actually scale it or I can't actually make real money from it. We're trying to give you the solution so then you can make real money from it, but still keep that special part of why you started it, why you started hand making it, and and then also being able to scale it even more. So if you love this episode, would you guys do us a favor and share it with someone that you think would benefit from it? So especially all you makers out there, I'm sure you're part of other maker communities. And if you found this useful, please, please, please share it. Um, And then other episodes that you like, if you could share that, like us on Instagram. And really the big thing is, is subscribe to the podcast and share it with anyone that you think would benefit from listening to these episodes. Yeah. Thanks everybody. This episode is over, but it doesn't have to end. Head over to our Facebook group, search for the Product Boss Biz Community, or the link is also in the show notes. Come connect with other product bosses just like you. We'll see you in there. If you love the Product Boss Podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, share, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time, product bosses, let's make it happen.